Hello, everybody. My name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Tonight, we're going to go live and discuss the latest Holy Post podcast, which they did not fully put on YouTube, which is an oddity that I'll discuss in a second. But it's going to be the Rob Reiner interview that they did on the Holy Post. And Rob Reiner is an atheist uh, filmmaker. He's best known for This is Spinal Tap, which is a admittedly funny 80s movie. And he's best known for being a sitcom character. And then afterwards, sometime in the mid-90s onward, he's mostly known for being a left a liberal political hack, major anti-smoking activist, was featured on South Park, uh, talking about how smoking is so unhealthy while also being morbidly obese. And it's kind of the uh, joke that South Park made out of him, which is what the thumbnailing is in case you're wondering but he's also taken aim at christian nationalism and that is what we're going to be discussing tonight is his interview with phil vischer phil vischer best known as the veggie tales guy is you know he's taking a lot of heat for feigning ignorance on rob reiner's affiliation with this film even though rob reiner was who funded the film who uh you know, produced the film and he tried to act like, you know, there's many def different definitions of product producing a film, which there are, but Rob Reiner was the person who was initially the guy who spearheaded this film. Like it, he was with the film back when it was under a different title. And now, you know, he's emerging as one of the biggest figures promoting the film because it's his film. So we're going to talk about Phil Vischer we're going to talk about uh, Rob Reiner telling the, trying to tell Christians how to view politics. And we're going to discuss his idol of democracy, which seems to be a prevalent theme in this uh, podcast that we're going to listen to. You haven't listened to it. I've listened to enough of it. And that's where we're at coming into tonight. So how are you tonight? Oh, as well. I can say uh, Stand By Me was actually a decent movie that uh, Rob Reiner directed. Uh, that was a Stephen King adaptation. So, you know, he, he's done other good things in his career. I know, but, you know, Spinal Tap being the most legendary, right? Yeah, dial. But we're going to dial up the cringe to 11 tonight because we're going to be listening to the conversation between Phil Vischer and Rob Reiner. And I'm going to give you a full cringe warning. Like you have a cringe warning, mostly in regards to the dialogue from Phil Vischer in this. So there's your warning. Uh, so that is where we're at tonight. I do also say that you should smash that like button to help with those magical YouTube algorithms and help get the stream discovered uh, as we progress tonight. So no one has covered this yet that I'm aware of, but so I guess we'll be among the first to kind of react to as much as we can. What is odd is that they didn't put this full interview on YouTube, which seems to be out of habit for the Holy Post. They usually put their podcast on YouTube in one full uh, swing. Maybe they aren't going to do it yet, but it seems a little disingenuous since they got French Friday coming up tomorrow in which, you know, David French is going to be on there. And, you know, he's one of their go-tos, regular weekly uh, guests on their show. But they did do four separate clips 
on YouTube. Like they clipped it into, they have four different clips from the, uh, uh, the podcast episode, but they didn't put the podcast episode on YouTube at all. I just think that's odd. I think they're doing something different with this one. And perhaps it's because there's a lot of pretty bad things said, I would say. Like the paradigm of politics is, you know, you know, we got to fight with our hands behind our back and the or we got to govern with our hands behind our back. But, you know, the pagans can do whatever they want. So that's kind of what we got to look forward to tonight. I do want to remind you, um, Evangelical Dark Web is a Christian news gathering and commentary ministry. We've done a lot of news uh, breaking this month, or th it's now February, but in January, we did a lot of news breaking. We broke the Alistair Begg story. We broke a few stories regarding that, uh, and there's a major update that just happened, which I probably won't do a video on, uh, but just... Needless to say, like my video on will Shepcon cancel him, I, I'm not going to say it aged poorly because it's perhaps because there's public pressure. People were starting to murmur that Shepcon, you know, didn't have the balls to do it. And they did. They actually did cancel Alistair Begg. So that's the latest update on that. But otherwise, let's just get into the uh cringy podcast from the holy post so i'm gonna bring it up we're we're gonna be listening to the audio version so that is on tonight's agenda uh again they didn't put it on youtube so that's where we're at on this so we're gonna pick up from about 13 minutes in so the film is called um God and Country. It is about the rise of Christian nationalism. Uh, first question is, how did this start? Who started it? Because yeah, I don't, I can't figure that out. Well, it, it, it a book was sent to me by Steve Oaken at Anonymous Content. It was a book by Catherine Stewart called The Power Worshippers. And he was considering making a documentary about it. I read it and I was you know, bowled over by it and didn't realize. I knew that the Christian nationalist movement was strong and was uh, well-funded and all that, but I didn't realize how uh, extensive it was. And I read this and then I called uh, Dan up and because I, I had known his work and uh, I like his work. And I said, Dan, what do you think? Do you want to take a, take a shot at this and see if you can uh, you can put this together. And uh, he said yes. And then we were off to trying to figure out how to do it. And I got to say that we were very lucky in that we had great advice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a fellow named Phil Vischer is in the documentary, but we have Russell Moore and uh, David French. There's a whole bunch of people who are very respected in the Christian community. And we wanted to make sure that we were not, uh, you know, bashing Christianity at all. Exact opposite is that we wanted to show people how this movement had a deleterious effect on Christianity. And we had uh, a lot of great voices to talk about it. Okay. Okay. So you can't. So I'm going to pause right there just to say, like, we're bringing all these respected names in Christianity to talk about Christian nationalism. It's like none of these names are particularly well respected in Christianity. Russell Moore is perhaps the most astroturfed uh, name, one of the most astroturfed figures in 
evangelicalism because we're told that he's great even though he's pretty bad and he's never really done anything notable and uh he's been a bad bad dude wherever he's gone and then david french is kind of a punching bag at this point he's not a serious guy at all yeah i mean that's that's the funny part is like all the names of people that are so respected in the community just like no it's kind of like the guy the token like political opponent that's on like fox news like the token democrat on fox news or the republican consultant on juan, CNN. juan williams or whatever his name was yeah but worse yeah and that's kind of what these people function as it's like or you know it's like when msnbc gets larry hogan to be you know a contributor there it's like yeah you're not getting a serious opposition voice here so tell me you're not one of the elite because you just used the word deleterious uh oh, but, no but oh, dan, dan how did you get involved and yeah. and what, what what was your interest well uh, you know so um rob and i had had collaborated on a project a few years prior we knew each other a little bit and he sent me this book um the, the interesting thing is so i you know i read the book and yeah i was um I, you know i felt like i was pretty read in i was pretty familiar with the rise of you know the sort of 80s era um, christian right as a political movement moral majority and stuff like that um but the nature of our our um media silos right now means that if you're not really looking for it yeah you're mm -hmm. not really going to see it that much and so i started to look into it and yeah it's shocking to see how that movement has really grown and developed and just the size and the scale of it um but i do want to you know to to double back is that at the time uh so i read it and then i was going to meet with um the producers and and what i said was um I would only be interested in doing this if this were a pro-Christian movie. I, I really want you guys to know that Christianity, you know, done unimaginable good in the world, you know, and to just focus on this weird deviant thing that's happening right now would really not be fair and not something that I would, I would want to be involved in. Now, Rob also, just because this is like a thing that, that uh, you and I talked about before, Rob actually at the time said, listen, I want to help this thing to happen because I think it's an important topic, but then I want to get out of the way because I'm afraid mm -hmm. that my participation would be a distraction from the content. No, oh no. No, that could never happen. Well, but it turns out, it turns out it is a distraction, but it is also interesting that, you know, yeah. I mean, I think it is, it, it's leading people to be more interested to check it out of like, why yeah. in the world yeah, 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 are yeah, yeah. involved in this? Well, you're going to yeah. get, you're going to get a lot more press coverage when you, and this is true of a lot of documentaries that somebody tries to get the documentary off the ground for years. And then someone with some celebrity and some cachet takes an interest, lends their name, and all of a sudden, you know, the documentary and goes. Money. So I wasn't, when I heard, first heard that, that uh, Rob was involved, m you know, my first thought was, oh, that's how they got it going. 
that's, <laughs> yeah, right. that's that's how they got traction because it's just hard mm. to get traction until you know it's me oh did i mention it's me and tom hanks making this series <laughs> yeah, right, okay right. you know now we'll now yeah. we'll take the meeting right. um so i steve oaken worked at sony i had meetings with him years ago at sony and then uh, he worked with pure Flix, the christian film company and then after he left pure Flix, he reached out to me and this is a few a couple of years ago um, and said, hey, I, I'm, I'm talking to Kristen Kobes dume about her book, Jesus and John Wayne. I'd like to do something with it. Would you be involved in that? And so that was the first conversation mm. I had. And it turns out that didn't go anywhere. And then he came back about a year later and said, okay, I've got something going now. Um, it's not about Jesus and John Wayne. It's just about Christian nationalism overall, would you, could I interview you for that? And I, and I said, Steve, I am not an expert on Christian nationalism. Yeah. And, and he I said, agree but with we've that. got all the experts. We've got, you know, uh, Whitehead and Perry and and French and Russell Moore and Chris and Kobe's Dumay. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, you do, you do have the experts. Why do you want me? Um, and, and he said, well, we like how you and Sky talk about topics like this on the podcast so we'd like you to be in and th and that was pretty much the extent of the information i had <laughs> that's right yeah i think was i was Steve. on one of those calls yeah yes I mean so that guy uh the effeminate director guy is a listener of the holy post if and that's what they've said from the beginning and he phil vischer is once again feigning ignorance at the idea that he had no idea rob reiner was behind the film which I don't buy that for a second. Do you buy well, that it, at all? It's almost contradicted when he's talking about, oh, well, because he actually, not, it seems like it's openly acknowledged in the conversation that Rob Reiner was the spearheader of this project, that he was leading the charge the entire way. And they're talking about how normally these projects never get off the ground unless you have like someone's name behind it, because otherwise you won't get a conversation. Did enemies within the church have anyone's name on it? I no, mean, that, that was, was also, wanted, but... yeah, but I mean, different animal, though. I mean, yeah. Rob Reiner's name does carry weight in Hollywood. And, you know, it doesn't help or doesn't hurt that he is, you know, got some of the right uh, bloodlines, so to speak. But very true. I mean, I, I, I don't know which I think it was the director guy with the feminine voice that was talking about, like, the moral right of the 80s and saying that this is an a offshoot and growth of the moral right. But yeah, I want anything, to unpack that a little bit more. But if anything, uh, the numbers game has shrank significantly since the 80s. In and, what way? I mean, let's be real. In the 80s, you know, David French might have actually been against gay marriage. But nowadays, he's not. So a lot of weak hands have been shaken from the, from the table since the 80s. And obviously, it's not the same America as it was in the 80s. So there's a couple things about Christian nationalism versus the moral majority movement. I'm not going to say that they're completely unrelated or disassociated from each other. But Christian nationalism is it, it's more of a rediscovery of what Christians have really always believed about politics and sort of a rejection of the malaise that we've seen in modern liberalism the moral majority really focused on working within that framework from the past. Whereas Christian nationalism is in some ways believing in an inevitable collapse of the current system, but also has a more, a different paradigm on how to work within the system and govern more ruthlessly, I would say. But 
rejecting you know pluralism and uh, uh you know the idea that we you know that you know liberalism rejecting liberalism pluralism and a bunch of other isms that have really hurt the american people so I see the moral majority as a movement that didn't go far enough. So, I mean, I mean, I guess if you wanted to distinguish them, I think a lot of it could come down to just neoconservatism versus paleoconservatism. The 1980s with Reagan is really just neoconservatism, the ascendancy of neoconservatism versus, and that is reflected with a lot of the moral majority leaders. Except a lot of Reagan them, at least brought in the moral majority. Neoconservatism after Reagan dropped the moral majority compared well yeah they eventually go to war with them but the, a lot of those moral majority leaders were you know you're thinking like pat robertson who died uh like last year i think and like you know a lot of them might have clowned themselves been very i guess i mean, a very i mean they're not necessarily your intellectual heavyweights a lot of them just simply wanted access or a seat at the table and that's one of their one of the reasons why the movement often endorsed horrible horrible candidates yeah pat robertson was not a serious political operator in my opinion but and that comes with the candidates that he endorsed that came with his foreign policy which was abysmal so but the moral majority i i do want to give them credit they deserve a lot of respect they won on the issue of homeschooling can you imagine where we'd be right now if they lost on homeschooling and they also raised a generation that was more serious about life. I, I would say that as well. There was like, you know, because it was the Gen X politicians in the state houses that advanced life legislation, whereas the boomer politicians did not. And therefore, you know, Roe v. Wade was challenged. So they, they actually did that. No, I mean, I guess a lot of their shortcomings probably come from what we might call boomer theology. Or yeah, we can talk about that on another live stream. But again, Pat Robertson to a T. So yeah, I just wanted to unpack that because they, they brought up the moral majority. But I, I see that as not going far enough. The moral majority didn't go far enough. Look, yeah. you, want, you want to, you, you know, when you're, Look, I think people have a misimpression about how documentaries are made. I mean, you know, I just spent, you know, it's a two-year deep dive. You know, there's about 18 voices in the film. Um, pretty much almost all of them have written books. I've, re I've read all those books. You know, audiences aren't going to, like, sit down and, yeah, well, you haven't read the books, but you <laughs> know me. this stuff cold. But you Yes, because we people, go over all the books. You're looking for people who are going to come at it from a lot of different perspectives and so we have yeah. you know faith leaders and we have this like well I, we wanted one of the important reasons um to talk to you and sky was to have people who understood the world of christian media and you know there is a section in the film that that is about christian mm -hmm. media that you guys are really driving so even though we you know when we talked we talked about all kinds of things and you know i have to say the interview with phil and sky was 
fantastic and would be yeah, really a whole film good. just by itself. I'm not kidding. Woo! So much amazing stuff on the cutting room floor. We're not blowing smoke here, Phil. But, We're not blowing smoke. Keep going. Do you remember the, sco- the rap on the Schofield Bible? I mean, we got we talked about the scopes. Mon- monkey trial. That I mean, we were far and wide, and you guys were fascinating and edifying on all of those. But um, yeah, but so everybody everybody had a, uh, an area of expertise where we were hoping they would be a principal voice of that section. And so, yeah, okay. You know. so, so the film gets made. I was interviewed, I don't know, a year ago or something. The film gets made. Uh, the trailer drops. Rob Reiner drops the trailer. Not Dan Partland, not you know someone else. Rob Reiner drops the trailer. My face is the first one that comes up in the trailer. Immediately, people are saying, yeah, yeah, okay, thank you. I accept that. Um, Immediately, people are saying, oh, oh, the creator of VeggieTales partnered with Rob Reiner. Mm. I think he's an atheist and he hates Christians and he wants to, you know, he wants to undermine the church. And now you and all these other, Russell Moore, you know, and it's all the ones that that people are mad at anyway. But Russell Moore and, and, and David French are professional be mad at me people. <laughs> I'm an I'm an amateur be mad at me person. Well, it, be- it's it's the double-edged sword. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we wanted to uh, downplay. I mean, at, at initially we downplayed yeah. the fact that, you know, I'm helping fund the film and all this stuff because we knew that people would have a certain uh, perception of what the film was going to be. Right, but right. then when you're trying to get people to watch it, you use whatever you know means you can to get it out there to the public but people have certain ideas about me as i'm sure they have about you phil uh, but they don't necessarily know what really goes on and what you really believe and and the truth of okay. the matter is i uh, you know i went through a very hard time in my life when i was really down and you know that dark you know journey of the soul that they talk about and i read everything i read books on on christianity on buddhism on hinduism on muslim even on judaism i was not raised as a religious jew i you know i was secular Mm -hmm. but what i came across was you know to me what spoke to me the most was the teachings of jesus i mean i thought you know here's you know do unto others as you would have them do unto you love thy neighbor these ideas to me they cut across all religions and they're profound and that my dad used to tell me when when i was younger he said you know if you believe so i gotta pause right there it's like this is him saying how much he respects the ideas of jesus but obviously, he's like, they cut across all religions. Really? Yeah. It, no, he, he and he's about to say something very errant after this. But I, I just want to, you know, we got to say pause right there. I mean, can, can we go back to the, the be mad at me, bro, with uh, David French and Russell Moore? It's just like. Because okay, they're better then, at this than Phil Fisher. Then who who are you trying to convince in this? in this documentary because you basically have just said that yeah no one likes these two people they you know they're professional agitators so to speak and they're already viewed as polarizing so we're going to use them to try to convince people about this thing that we perceive as a threat or problem so yeah i mean they're not exactly putting their best foot forward with credible voices and if you look at it, it's just a who's who of liberal, you know, political ideologues. That's who's in the film. 
uh, Kristen Dumez, who's just a hack who, you know, is pretty gay in her theology, but no, nothing's a shock about that. Russell Moore, you know, media figure. So he has a platform to promote the film. David French, I don't know how much of a platform he has to promote the film, but if you talk about, you know, this is a pro-Christian film, what did David French write col Sunday columns about after Trump was out of office? Attacking the church. That, that, that was his, you know, M.O. was attacking the church in his Sunday columns. That, that's what David French always wants to do. So this isn't a pro-Christian movie, and it doesn't even have any Christians in it as far as I can tell. So now we're going to talk about him, you know, not knowing who Jesus is, which is not surprising. It's almost like if I had to take a gamble of what this, because again, the, the other two things he mentioned was Scopes Trial and Schofield Bible. So it's just like, are, are those two things going to be in the documentary? Because again, it, do you understand Christian nationalism, bro? So you want to talk about being an outsider influence in Christianity? Well, that explains uh, Schofield Bible. And the scopes monk uh scopes monkey trial that makes it sound like they're going to have evolution in the fundamentals as some kind of a component in this documentary as hey, far as the I, I was told by alistair Begg that american evangelicals don't understand nuance you know like the superior brits across the pond you know so they can bend over to evolution where but you know evangelicals in america held the line but they it sounds like they're going to go that go back that far in their narrative well probably because they're going to blame christians for not adopting liberal social positions which you'll hear about them celebrating christians taking liberal social positions in this podcast so you, you gotta watch this part here in do unto others and you really believe in that and take that to heart you don't need the ten commandments because all the things that happen that are listed in the ten commandments if you apply do unto others you'll know mm -hmm. the right thing to do you don't you right, know you don't right. have to say to somebody thou shalt not steal thou shalt not kill th th these things are you you live with them and i you know I'm, I'm i'm a flawed person i'll fail here and there but i always come back to that which is mm -hmm. how do i want myself to be treated how do i treat somebody else and those are the teachings of jesus and i felt that this movement this political movement has gotten far away this christian nationalism has gotten far away from the teachings of jesus it seems to me so let's pause right there so he's basically saying do unto others as you would have done to you basically what's colloquially known as the golden rule that is the summary of you know, the Ten Commandments, and that is the main teaching of Jesus. Which, again, is like, what, Matthew 7, which is the yeah, Sermon yeah. on the Mount, which is basically a, a commentary on the Ten Commandments, if you had to, like, summarize what is the Sermon on the Mount. And Let, Let's just point out the obvious. First of all, do unto others as you would have them do to you is only the second table of the law. That is nothing that that does not summarize the Ten Commandments. You can't even be a good person and just do that. You because you're only being good to others. You're still neglecting God. That's like the Muslim or atheist saying, "Can I follow all Ten Commandments and not be a Christian?" And a lot of I don't want to say dumb, but naive Christians say, "Well, technically, yeah." I'm like, no, you actually can't. You can't follow the Ten Commandments unless you're a Christian. 
it's impossible otherwise. I mean, it kind of sounds like he's saying that during, I guess, COVID, I don't know, he went on some kind of religious exploration and but and then j6 happened and then he's saying that that influenced his i mean again let's be real this documentary is being made probably because of j6 and that he views as the perversion of christianity according to his understanding that he gathered during a time of spiritual exploration as he kind of described himself going on comparing jesus to buddha to muhammad to but you see, that's his version of Jesus is just one line from Jesus. And then he's saying, based on that line, Christian nationalists have strayed from this one teaching of Jesus. Even though it's like we would actually, you know, do unto others as they would have done to us. You know, like what about applying God's law to the civil realm? Do we not want done to us? We, we, we want to do it to everyone. Because we're doing it to us too in the process, so it it doesn't it doesn't really hold water as an argument. So you would you would consider yourself a concerned outsider? Yes, yes, because I see it as it a danger to democracy. But what I know, what I learned mm -hmm. is that very conservative Christian leaders see it as a danger to Christianity. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, interesting to me to find that out. Okay. Okay. So now um, here's some hard questions. Very conservative. One more thing. I would yeah, about Dan. <laughs> Sorry. You just don't want me to ask my hard questions. No, You're stalling. No, you know, about the trailer. I mean, honestly... So I'm sorry about that. I mean, sincerely. No, okay. because, well, no, but but this is I think it's emblematic of what is going on. That's that's why mm -hmm. it's interesting is that we were very much aware that, OK, you know, when the film comes out, there'll be an organized effort among certain groups to try to discredit who, who don't want us to talk about these things and all, all that kind of stuff. But we, you know, had we were caught off guard by the reaction to a two minute trailer um, that you I don't know, think they I, I'm were. I'm not going to say people should watch the trailer and decide for them themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, they but, should watch know, the film and decide for themselves. There was a pastor. A pastor the other day released a seven-minute critique of the trailer. I thought, wow, wow really? Yeah, well, I'm flattered. I, you know, yeah. seven-minute critique of a two-minute trailer. Um, but no, we just. I mean, that the reaction I think is emblematic of this political intensity and and honestly political yeah. extremism surrounding this issue. Yeah. Okay. Hard questions. No, it's yours. Go. But thank but you. Their entire thank you, Dan. Premise. Hard questions for Rob Reiner. But their entire. I mean, but the whole premise in Hollywood is all press is good press, and you know that's what the reaction to the trailer was, and they're even saying that they would, they anticipated said reaction. So they're they're kind of well, talking out of both sides of their yeah, mouth. Yeah, it's like on one hand they knew it was coming, on the other hand, you know, I'm so shocked it happened. Like, no, you you really aren't. And Rob Reiner promoted it. He knew what was happening. And let's be real. I mean, if if something is produced by Spielberg, it doesn't matter if he's the director or not. You're leading with produced by Steven Spielberg. 
here. Yes. Uh, d- director of When Harry Met Sally. Okay. Do you hate Christianity, and would you like to see it stomped out? No, that's ridiculous. Of course not. Of course not. When you look at, uh, you know, the, the, the pure t- teachings of Jesus and what uh, Christians throughout the world have done, they've done some amazing things. Uh, when you talk about, uh, you know, helping the poor and talking about uh, taking care of those less fortunate, you see Christianity playing an enormous role in that. So, of course not. I mean, I don't I don't hate any religion. I what I what I don't like is when somebody tries to force their ideas upon you and sometimes even resort to violence to force their ideas upon you. And that, again, to me, goes totally 180 degrees contrapuntal to the teachings of Jesus, because he didn't he didn't preach violence. He, he, He preached peace. Now you said contrapuntal. That's number two. Okay, all right. And I I didn't even graduate college. Liberal coastal elite. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've been hanging out somewhere, Um, (laughs) picking up new words. Okay, are you opposed to, because this is an accusation that came, you know, immediately after the, the trailer hit. Are you opposed to Christians participating in politics? And is this an attempt to make Christians think they have to stay on the sidelines? No, no. We want everybody to participate in politics. What we want, though, is civil discourse. We want uh, people to put their forth their ideas. And if enough people believe in it, those things can become law. Those things can become part of our society. What we don't want is being forced uh, and I'd say even at the at, at the point of a gun or a gun or violence, that's not to me participating in in uh, democracy. We want everybody to participate, but we all have to agree that we have to be civil with each other. Okay, okay. Now notice that his priority is the participation in democracy. Well, let's just he never I mean, talks he's... about what happens after you know people are elected into office. And, you know, what, what's the purpose of having a democracy? Well, he's basically saying, yeah, you guys need to bring forth your ideas and debate it out in the marketplace of ideas. And if you win in the marketplace, then that means your ideas become law. And guess what? That does not actually work. We've well, seen it that. also means we've... that one idea is going to be forced on the other. No, but we've seen that. Republicans can win debate on policy all day long, but it doesn't translate to actual policy results. I mean, we see this with immigration. Republicans did not, the whole country does not want all this mass migration, but the politicians still do it anyway. They didn't want gay marriage, but you know, Rob Reiner's friends, all of them. 70 to 80%, like 80% of Americans support voter ID and that, you know, does that translate to 80% of states having voter ID laws? No. No, but like even gay marriage was brought about because Hollywood and all these elites basically said you're going to get gay marriage and they forced it on you and they flooded the every ballot initiative with and our lovely catholic justice anthony kennedy forced it on the country yeah but again majority of the people didn't want it but they got it anyway i mean again we can go back even further civil rights you know majority of the country didn't want it they didn't care actually yeah but if you're looking at the 1960s vietnam number one issue nothing was close I mean, even World War II, America did not want to get involved, but FDR did. So Yes, but so did the Japanese. Well, It's like their people and FDR's people wanted the war. I, I don't think America is the bad guy in 
in World War II. I'm not saying it is. And then but... Germany, de- no one wanted to go to war with Germany because, or a lot of people didn't want to go to war with Germany. But then Germany declared war on the United States, so that the hand was forced. Well, they didn't I mean... have to. They they were not bound to go to war, you know, with whoever Japan went to war with. But they. So, chose I mean, to... the idea that oh, the marketplace of ideas debated out, you know, have these arguments. No, you have to force your policy through because again, the, that's what politics the majority, is. Having the majority supportive opinion doesn't actually translate into the ideas being implemented into law yeah it's actually force of will that gets these ideas implemented into law it's leadership that does it and that's why the republicans can't unite is because they haven't had strong leadership ever at least as long as i've been alive uh so they haven't had strong leadership so they can't legislate at the federal level at the state level it's completely different but at the end of the day, this is politics is all about imposing your will on the other side. And they try to act like it's not a zero sum game that everyone can just be, you know, vote and then we can all go home and be happy and sing Kumbaya or some other gay crap. And at the end of the day, he doesn't have a realistic idea of what politics is or he but that's just what he says. The reality is he knows exactly that politics is a zero-sum game and he wants to neuter Christians. He wants oh, yeah. Christians to lay down their arms, vote with their hands tied behind their back. Whatever analogy you want to fit into the situation, bring a knife to a gunfight. That's what he wants the church to do. That's the whole purpose of this documentary. So Now, now it gets really tricky. This is a tricky one. Okay. If- if for say hypothetical if a christian opposes abortion and votes accordingly is that in your mind christian nationalism no no because there are many people not just christian who don't believe in abortion so that's a a personal belief that uh first of all abortion is not even mentioned in the bible but aside from that these are personal beliefs and you you know we've said many times you know these decisions are very tough decisions but they're they're up to uh the person they're uh i just want to say right here that killing babies is brought up in the bible multiple times i mean and the didache mentions thou shalt not kill uh murder or what have an abortion as its commentary on the 10th or the what uh sixth commandment so it's Historic Christian teaching. But I mean, he's, uh, you know, secular Jewish. So, you know, that's what he believes. They're uh, their physician and their God. And my, me personally, I don't believe in abortion. I, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in it. But I also believe that I can't force anybody to have my belief. So it's probably a lot of people will ask on this topic of Christian nationalism. That is what Nikki Haley and other people who are pro-abortion believe. But that's also what he says to a Christian audience. So a presumably Christian audience, according to his mind. So his ma- in his mind, you can force abortion on society. But it's undemocratic to impose your beliefs on abortion and ban the process. What is the appropriate boundary about where somebody's faith should be incorporated into 
their politics. And so this is, I think, a big misnomer. They think that if somebody is against Christian nationalism, they think that f that people shouldn't rely on their faith for their political beliefs. And that is just absolutely not true. Ask MLK, right? It's central. <laughs> yes, let's ask MLK for a second. You know, let, can we get a phone call to hell? Uh, are we able to do that? Yeah, because what did MLK actually believe? He was a Marxist. He believed in rioting just like... He would have supported the BLM riots. People don't realize that. Riots are the vo voice of the unheard, right? Isn't that his quote? But he, he was a communist. Let, let's just be real. So, no. To people's moral view of the world that they can call upon their faith to make their political decisions. Where it becomes a Christian nationalist idea is, is where it's not informing it. Right. So if you say, hey, you know, I believe in the sanctity of human life um, and I want to make an argument to the civil society about why everyone ought to do that, then you can make that. But what you can't say where it becomes Christian nationalism is when you say, no, we can't have abortion because my faith says you can't have abortion. That's a different way of approaching a moral dilemma. It's just saying we have to go with what my faith says. OK, well, what what? Okay, does the policy, does it make a difference to the law? So, I mean, generally... Is, let, let's just use abortion as an example. Or actually, let's, let's use gay marriage as an example. Does it make a difference to the law why gay marriage is banned or that it is banned? No, no. I mean, it just, it, it, what the law says is law says. Does it make but a difference even, to the homo? No. But even still, like the argument against abortion is it is life, so therefore it is protected. It is it, like it's defining life as beginning with conception. So therefore it it has a well, it has a right to life or better stated. The mother has a duty of care. Yeah, right to life and a duty of care and murder is illegal. But again, by what standard is murder illegal under the law? Because there have been societies that didn't harshly punish murder at all. Yeah, I mean, a, you know, a man could kill a slave, and it was, you know, well, at, I mean, at best like or at worst, Roman Empire. But so, you know, there, there's a lot. You know, by what standard is murder illegal? And it's God's standard, ultimately. It was just, you know, all the way back to the days of Noah, and even you know, Cain and Abel deeply held religious belief do i have to oppose that what what is my ethical grounds and that's and that's where conservative christians get upset because they believe they're being held to a different standard you know than everyone else who says are. hey it's wrong to discriminate against the lgbt community and they say well we say it's wrong to discriminate against unborn children but when we say that you say we can't say that because it's religiously motivated well what is the non-discrimination against the lgbtq community motivated by also a strongly held belief that isn't really you know it's not like a math equation where you say oh look we did the math equation and it turns out that we should have transgender rights for minors you know but, so and that's where a lot of a lot of conservative christians get very confused but but there's nothing wrong with having whatever belief you have and you can base it on your uh religious beliefs that's fine you just can't force other people to have those beliefs but you, but can, can, you can convince them you can, can right. try to convince them but you can't force them and that's but, 
the, that's Christian nationalism is willing to force people to their their beliefs. But if I vote my beliefs, I'm not forcing. No, no, if no. If you vote. vote your beliefs, you are not forcing. Okay, okay, okay. So, because I just want, because this is what, you know, this is. So, a couple things. First of all, voting your beliefs is trying to force your beliefs. So That's the whole point of voting. Let's just back up. The civil rights is literally forcing your beliefs upon people. Yes, freedom you, of association. Yes, you're forcing people to associate with people they otherwise would detest or otherwise would not want to associate with. You're mandating association. You're coercing and forcing people. Like the idea that you're, oh, you can't impose your beliefs. Yeah, saying removing discrimination, like discrimination is like enacting laws against discrimination is imposing your beliefs upon people that they have to basically say, yeah, we have to bake the cake, even though we don't want to. Right. So the other thing is, it seems like his distinction in, you know, forcing your beliefs on other people versus not forcing your beliefs on other people is whether you're self-consciously promoting a Christian policy. So yeah, if you're yeah. announcing that this is a Christian policy and therefore we're going to implement it, then you're a Christian nationalism. But if you have a different means of doing that, then you're not. That's how bad the argumentation is. That it's only Christian nationalism in Rob Reiner's mind if you're self-consciously or above board imposing the same belief. But if you're imposing the same belief or if you're implementing the same policy without the Christian, you know, faith in the background or self-consciously Christian faith apparent, then it's not Christian nationalism. It doesn't make sense. So it's an inconsistent standard, but as an atheist, there is no reverse standard that, you know, an atheist can impose whatever belief they want because they don't have a religion that they're imposing on people according to, and this would be the Rob Reiner argument. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much his uh, get out of jail free card for why why you can't flip the script on him. And because, that, again, he is passing moral judgments when he says, like, oh, all these you know, anti-discrimination laws or uh, like all the all the things he, he says that you should, which is why everything he said just right then is very much a word salad, very much like intentionally trying to confuse people. What you're going to get hammered with is well, but, uh, you think can... you think it's wrong for Christians to vote their beliefs if it's a belief that uh, secular society has decided is no longer acceptable. Of course it's not. Of course it's acceptable to vote your belief. You have to vote your belief. Dan, you brought up the, you know, the religious right in the 80s and, mm -hmm. and the, the rise of the you know, Falwells and the Dobsons and, and those guys. Do you see a difference between the religious right in the 80s and Christian nationalism today? Or are they the same movement, just at different phases of growth? <clears throat> That's a, that's a tough question. That's the advanced mm -hmm. course. I don't, you know, I think I'm, I don't think I'm, um, I don't think I'm intimate enough with the tenor of it from the seventies okay. and eighties to really, to really make a case in either direction. I do yeah. think unquestionably the tenor that the politicization has become more intense. And I think there's been a lot of good 
uh, scholarship on it. I think, you know, Tim Alberta's book, of course, uh, t walks through that in a lot of detail Yay. about how the politicization became more intense and be be begins to become an end in and of itself and separate mm -hmm. from any goal, any um, sort of faith-based goal. Okay. Which is odd because if we look at the money and, you know, the ERLC has never really been a right-wing organization. Uh, you know, who's the first guy who ran it? No, Turner Land. Yeah, Richard Land was pretty. He, he's not a. He's not right wing at all. You know, you know, he was attacking Uganda. He was going to the World Economic Forum. All these other things, and Russell Moore gets in there, and he's pushing open borders policies. And then, uh, what's his face? Brent Leatherwood is in there now, and he's using Southern Baptist dollars to advocate gun control. So that's where they're at now and fight pro-life legislation. So that's where the, you know, the political movement within evangelicalism has been for a time. It's been politicized for left wing topics. And that's, and their problem is with Tim Alberta and, you know, Kristen Dumez, they hate the idea of any, you know, an actual Christian political movement. They hate that. They're they're okay with left-wing liberal political movements that are using the church. You know, they're okay with Dan Darling wanting to take money from, you know, take Zuckerbucks to make churches vaccine sites. They're fine with all that. They're fine with Russell Moore, David French, and Curtis Chang taking money from the Rockefellers, to, you know, who are a very old money liberals to, you know, advance a left-wing political agenda in the church. They're fine with that type of politicization. They're not fine with people trying to actually apply the Bible into the public sphere. And I think this kind of summarizes my point. Uh, Yer says, claiming we have all this money and are organized as a total gaslight. Exactly. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. I mean, if you're looking at why is everything so politicized, like, well, because you couldn't get away from it. I mean, they literally made it so that if you say wrong speak, you get canceled, you lose your job. And this goes back to political correctness in the late 80s, early 90s, where basically people were getting canceled then. And, you know, so all these liberals that say we need to go back to like 1990s style America. Yeah, cancel culture existed then. And I mean, I think it begins then, but it doesn't creep like it. The political correctness movement starts in the university systems. So, and then all of a sudden, white people can't say certain words on YouTube. And yeah, you know so the I'm idea of about. why but is before you know, if you look at 1994 America, you know, white people could say any word in the English language and not get canceled. But yeah, why, Quentin why is Tarantino and uh. Pulp Fiction, for well, example. Why Why is everything politicized? Well, because, yeah, you can't speak or think certain things without being canceled, without losing your livelihood. And these are normal being things. access to society. And these are normal things. Yeah, I mean, you know, what the or CEO... things that were normal 50 years ago. The CEO of Mozilla lost his job for donating $1,000 to Prop 8. Like, this was back in 2015, I think. Yeah, so, I think I remember that story. So the idea that you can suffer in your livelihood because of the political destabilization that's happened to our society yeah it you know 
we should of course they politicized it what was it michael fallon was talking about charles haywood uh being some you know handing out you know shampoo bucks and i'm like man where can i get some of that uh he's not handing out you know shampoo dollars Okay, because I, I honestly, I don't have a good answer for that question either, simply because there's really no universally agreed upon definition of Christian nationalism, you know, what it is and what it isn't. And, and there, you know, and if you were making a five part series for Netflix, I would have said, hey, let's have a, an episode that breaks out the different strains of Christian nationalism that are currently yeah. visible um, in the, on the political scene in the U.S. I would think that one, one the one uh, thing that you could point to is the belief or the non-belief of separation of church and state. Hmm. If you if you do not believe hmm. that they that the founding fathers and the, our founding documents hmm. uh, did not spell that out that there was a separation of church and state, then I think that that can be part of the definition of what mm -hmm. is Christian nationalism, because Christian nationalists do not believe there is a separation mm -hmm. of church mm -hmm. and state. Correct. And that's well, the and, big, and, I think that's the big difference. But that, I also think, uh, I also think, you know, it's important, you know, I mean, yes, what you're talking about, that it's hard to define it is one of the central challenges of the film, because you kind of need to define it so that people understand what in the heck we're talking about. And it's really, really hard to define. And it has a lot of different, mm -hmm. a lot of different um, factors that that shape it. But I think the important thing is that it isn't really a name calling thing like that's a Christian nationalist. It's it's an undercurrent, you know, it's a it's a trend. It's a it's mm -hmm. a pattern of belief that a lot of people are caught up in. And one of the things that I'm very concerned about and one of the things that I hope the film will will reach people on is that I think that there's a lot of people, you know, the data, the uh, Perry Whitehead data shows that there's a lot of people who are kind of unwittingly being caught up in it because it's so it's so fused with just all kinds of aspects of American identity. Meaning Christian nationalism is a good label. Uh, but let's actually give a quick definition for a second. Uh, Christian nationalism, this is from my upcoming book, Winning Not Winsome, Ten Commandments of Spiritual Warfare. The belief and practice of Christianizing a nation, either establishing or restoring a Christian heritage to a people, through the spreading of the gospel, establishing of institutions, and aligning civil laws with the law of God. That is the evangelical dark web definition of Christian nationalism. And if you want to compare it to Stephen Wolf's definition, it's kind of like a rewording of it, which is interesting because, you know, we came up with these independently. Yeah, he does the uh, totality of the nation instead of, you know, the utter nation. But, uh, or totality of a national action, I think, is something it's something like that in his definition. And he talks but, more, uh, his definition focuses more on high trust society. Uh, mine focuses more on a heritage, but that's what it's about. And you see any definition that tries to tie it specifically to America, that they, that's already a bad definition. Well, even like, still, the whole notion of separation of church and state is just, it's just not real. Like, since people are spiritual and, you know, physical, the government always the, the government always wants to have control over the spiritual. That's just kind of the natural, you know, the natural desire of like of leaders is they want to be. I mean, a lot of leaders want to be, you know, deified people. They want to have basically control over the hearts and minds.
So there's always an infusion of civil of church and state. That's just on. Now, some societies are more self-conscious about that. If you look at Eastern societies like Eastern Eastern Orthodox is very self-conscious about its fusion and relationship with the state, you know, separation of church and state doesn't really exist in that mindset. And it'll be interesting to see how this develops in Russia now that they're recovering from, you know, uh, being occupied by non-Christians for 80 years. It'll be interesting to see how they recover from that and whether, you know, the Russian Orthodox Church takes a greater role, you know, in in all these post-communist countries. But even still, like the whole fusion of church and state, we I mean, that would be like civic religion. Well, my point is that like only in certain areas of Christianity, like regionally or influentially, does the notion of separation of church and state even register. Like it doesn't register in an Eastern mindset. And it only is registered in a Western mindset in the last few hundred years. The papist always had some sort of relationship. Uh, the you know, in, in Protestantism, there were definitely examples of, of a, a clear-cut relationship, but we've definitely gotten away no, from the Westminster that. Confession. The Westminster Confession, the London Baptist Confession of Faith. There's a lot of examples where Christianity, uh, Christians did believe in, you know, no real separation of church and state. It was, you know, Christians run the church, Christians run the state. And, you know, they work together at times if needed. But Which again, I don't think it's a bad thing. You'll never hear Rob Reiner say that, oh, the tr- the state should not interfere with the church through the Johnson Amendment. Uh, or which, the, tr- the church should, you know, be exempt from COVID restrictions. Will you yeah, hear him like, say that? You're not going to hear him say that. And mm-hmm. so these people are not, you know, they're not, they're not the problem, but they're getting swept up in something because there's so much social pressure because this community has become so monolithic that you just, you're not being a good American or you're not being a good Christian either or both if you don't subscribe to this, that, and the other political belief. But if you also don't believe that there is a separation of church and state, then you can easily believe that God ordained uh, America to be a white Christian nation. And if you believe that, you and you will do anything in 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 uh, in God's name to uh, achieve that. That to me is the core part of it because. They... So I'm going to say God didn't necessarily ordain America to be a white Christian nation, but our founding fathers kind of did. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the whole for, being you know, real. forsake our heritage. Uh, give and, give our entire inheritance to foreigners who will replace us is, sounds like a great idea. The, the founders left Europe because they were persecuted for religion and they wanted to make sure that our country was not, was a pluralistic country. The, document, no, uh, the Constitution starts with we the people. It's the first time that any kind of document uh, uh, describing a, a government in, in a country talks about the power to the people, not a power to God, but a power to people. And there's no separation. If there's no separation, that makes uh, it okay to have America yeah. be a white Christian nation. And that and to counter- me is the, that to me is one of the ways of defining it. 
the counter would be that that you know God and church in some way are mentioned explicitly in a number of the colonial constitutions and state constitutions. They are, so but that, not yeah, for Christianity. Example, when the when the well, I mean, the Pilgrims were specifically they were you know Puritans and they were founding a Christian colony that was so when, when right. people say that's, the that's pil- correct the, that's yeah, correct the pilgrims but wanted not... to found a christian nation my comment usually is the pilgrims didn't found america they founded the massachusetts bay colony right and that was going to be a christian colony when we had 13 colonies and we had to put them all together that's when we really right. realized we can't let the baptists get beat up by the congregationalists right and the puritans make christmas illegal for everyone because christmas was illegal in massachusetts um so that's why ha- they say the state yeah. make may make no religion and that you don't have to have a religious test to right. hold a office i mean those things are clear and it was done to protect uh, again state constitutions had religious tests even rhode well, island let's let's back up here you have uh, was that Phil and Vischer? Maryland. Was it yeah. Phil Vischer that was actually Phil, trying to bring up an honest, honest objection to whatever uh, Reiner Phil was Vischer saying? Phil Vischer was the guy talking about the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Yeah, yeah. Well, but he was the guy that's trying to bring up an honest objection. Hey, they actually would say this, and then Rob, their Rob Reiner's response was, "Well, that was when they were colonies, not when they were states." And that's, and then he basically says, assumes that the doctrine of incorporation was existent at the time of the constitutions not at the time of declaration of independence probably yeah but he assumes that the doctrine of incorporation was always there yeah not a good argument religion yeah to protect your belief and in, in my view um christian political activism becomes christian nationalism when i say America is supposed to be Christian, and therefore my vote should count more than a non-Christian's vote. And we might need to take steps to reduce the influence of non-Christian voters. Um, That's a huge issue. That's where we cross the line. Okay, I have something else that I wanted to bring up because I thought this was... Again, whose vote is actually being like... Where's the law that says... Where's the Christian nationalist saying that we need to take votes away from people? Oh no! They'll just say that uh, gerrymandering in favor of Christian nationalist votes is voter suppression, which you know nothing wrong, nothing unbiblical or sinful about gerrymandering or even racial gerrymandering. Yeah, even actually, I think racial gerrymandering is more honest and above board than and ethical. I would say than what you see nowadays. I mean, technically. Like any time Republicans gerrymander, it's racial gerrymandering. <laughs> so yeah, they're trying to shove the uh, non-white vote into a corner so that they can, you know, limit their number of seats that they can influence. Which you again, know. you know, that's that would be considered voter suppression, or having an ID to vote is considered voter suppression. It's not like Democrats don't do the same thing. Or what? Uh, uh, preventing mail-in vote ballots is voter suppression. So. Really Those were I very was... good questions, Phil. Thank you, Rob. Was it, were they were they too hard? Why no, they no. I love I love those kind okay. of questions I because it makes more. you. Those were softball questions. Forces you to think what you what do you believe? Yeah, right, right. Okay, this is interesting. I was thinking about the All in the Family theme song. This is where and we I get had cringy. some really interesting 
thoughts. And a lot of our audience is too young and they don't remember all in the family and they don't know that your nickname is Meathead and that you have to live with <laughs> it for the rest now. of They do now. But the all in the family things, theme song, boy, the way Glenn Miller played songs that made the hit parade. Guys wow. like us, we had it made. Those were the days. And you know what you were then? Sorry, wow. my Gene Stapleton's wow. a little shrill. Unbelievable, Gene Stapleton. Thank you, thank you. Goyles was Goyles and men was men. Mister, we could use a man like Hoybert Hoover again. Didn't need no welfare state. Everybody pulled their weight. Gee, our old LaSalle ran great. Those were the days. Okay, that's that's the theme wow. song. You've now that's heard it. That's amazing you. that you Thank remember you. all that. A huge you can, percentage of the country could sing that along with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I believe so. But and I was just thinking about those lyrics. Uh, mm. Every what, what are you going to do to recover from that one? Um, wow. Because I... is it time to get some shots or something? Yeah. All, okay. So all in the family. That was Archie Bunker, which again, he's been described as like being subversive. Right. I, I just had to look that up. So, oh, yeah. The guy that was like subversive and introducing a lot of liberal ideas into his TV shows. And that's what his legacy is. And I guess he's trying to make a point about nostalgia because that was like a 70s and 80s. 70s well, they're going to make show. they're going to connect it to MAGA. In a yeah, but it's like a 70s. I'm just TV like, how are you going to recover from that cringe to uh, pre New Deal era America? Which wasn't a very conservative America, by the way. Buddy knew who they were. You know, girls were girls and, and men, men were, were men. men. Yeah. And mm -hmm. we didn't need a welfare state because right. everybody pulled their weight. And it occurred to me that really could still be a theme song for a big chunk of the conservative movement of, you know, why do we have all this gender confusion? Why can't we go back to women being women and men being men and everybody accepting their role? Why do we have to have a welfare state? Why can't we go back to everyone taking care of their own kids, everyone minding their own business? And, and it occurred to me that maybe, you know, was Archie Bunker the first television representation of the MAGA movement? Um, <laughs> so Yelmoth says Archie Bunker was a Ron Swanson of his time. But Ron Swanson wasn't a libertarian on the show. He was a liberal on the show, Parks and Rec. If you look at what he does, you know, as a libertarian, it's support a communist to be on a on a uh what was it city council that's what he does like that's what Ron's i mean, I mean really he's just show. the late he's just the lazy manager yes and that's called libertarianism because he doesn't he he doesn't want big government he just wants inactive government right and yeah he's he just wants government to be ineffective in doing what it's supposed to do I mean, Parks and Rec, you know, kind of an overrated show, but, you know, he did give us Chris Pratt uh, because, you know, talent came from that show. And I love the fact that Amy Poehler is like the star of the show, but she's not even the top five funny character on that show. Like everyone else is funnier than her on her own show. Just I've heard um, that before. I've heard that before, you? but it, it's it, well, I mean, they say is it was, uh, you know, is Archie Bunker, is he like Donald Trump? I mean, you've heard those kind of things. Yeah. But we, it's interesting because you say um, we could use a man like Herbert Hoover again. 
Now, mm-hmm. Herbert Hoover oversaw the, <laughs> the the Great Depression just collapsed. Yeah, right. I mean, right. we right. And, 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 it gave, history, I think. and it gave birth to the welfare, uh, you know, to uh, Social yeah. Security and Medicare. But he, and all wouldn't, those he wouldn't have done that. He just would have let everyone die. Yeah. And so they would learn to take care of themselves like yes. God intended in the Bible. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it is the first I, I, I mean, I, I should do a deeper dive on it, but I think it is the first culture war show in a sense. I mean, it was before we knew to call it a war. I mean, there was yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is yeah, strong. We, 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 we were, were able to laugh at it. We were able to laugh at it. Yeah, the, yeah. before Star Trek. Well, I mean, can we I, just say I, that the? I mean, if you really want to go there, I mean, can we just say that the Great Depression and the crash was caused by basically usury and a financial collapse? No, because that's offensive to Rob Reiner's culture and heritage. But you know, I mean, good old capitalism for the win. Well, it's also what happens when you have high tariffs and high income tax. Like it was a really stupid taxation system they had back then. Big divide happened in the '60s with the uh, civil yeah. rights movement and the war in Vietnam and the women's movement and the sexual revolution. That big divide started then, and then just kept getting bigger and bigger. So here's so it's interesting that you play a key role in the first media representation because you were the younger generation you were the kids and you know and carol o'connor was the older generation saying what the heck is going on here right right. (laughs) get over here meathead i want she um so but what i but he took great edith thank you the whole show oh thank you archie yeah. Oh no! Um, I loved her. It was a, it was a wonderful <laughs> character. Yeah. The '60s for a lot of Americans turned the world upside down. It's like everything turned upside down, you know. And and we saw the the uh, second wave femi- uh, feminism. We saw the civil rights movement, and suddenly we couldn't pray in schools anymore. The Bible, you know, like I can't bring. Can I bring my Bible to school still? And so there was all this panic of everything we know. You know, we had the Watts riots. We had Detroit mm. in flames. So it looked like the social order was completely breaking down. Right. And for some some people, it was very specifically you know it's because of school desegregation and my kids aren't going to go to a school with negro children not you know so, so for some people it was really the racial racial focus mm-hmm. uh, my family was upper midwest we didn't have that you know schools were already integrated that wasn't an issue but it still looked like the world was turning upside down right and that and that led to you know, Phyllis Schlafly and opposing the NRA, uh, which led to uh, um, Falwell and the moral majority, which ultimately led to where we are now. And I, I, so I'm just looking at Archie Bunker as a reflection of the generation and the reaction that gave us Christian nationalism of, you know, those were the days is basically MAGA. It's let's make it great again like it used to be in the 50s. So Paul's right there. uh, Make America great again or MAGA and Christian nationalism are two distinct things. Now, I don't think there's they're mutually exclusive, but they're distinct. And MAGA is a little bit more nostalgia, but it capitalizes on the idea that America is a nation in decline. Yeah, I mean, we are in decline. Uh, we used to be much better than we are now. I mean, when Donald Trump says "Make America Great Again" is the 
greatest political slogan of all time. I mean, he actually is correct. I mean, I, I kind of wrote that the MAGA message is what carried Donald Trump over the finish line when his character and his scandals pretty much like deterred a lot of people from voting for him because he captured this essence of what it actually means to be an American. And no one has actually been able to replicate that since. Like DeSantis didn't do it. Well, uh, again, his... the, again, the boomer heart True. couldn't move on from Trump. True, but the DeSantis are... didn't do it. The, the boomers are, you know, they, lot, they want Trump. They, but it they also goes win. to the MAGA copycats, like, you know, Carrie Lake. Um, you, you see her Senate fundraising numbers? Uh, no, but I assume they're bad. Uh, yeah, she has like $1 million running up against and two candidates that are going you know, to have like five to one, 10 to one outspending, able yeah, to outspend her. She's going against candidates that will have tens of millions. And, no, that's what I just said. Uh, and hopefully she loses that primary because she's a terrible candidate. She's like the only candidate that, that can lose that race. But y- you think about, you, like you said, with the MAGA and what it means to be an America, American. Christian nationalism is probably going back a little bit further than the MAGA movement is. You know, it, it's kind of a rejection of liberalism in toto. Whereas MAGA is not necessarily a rejection of liberal. Well, MAGA is more paleoconservatism. That's like if you had to look at 2016 Donald Trump, he was Pat Buchanan plus, plus Ron, Ron Paul. Paul. So that's very paleoconservatism. That's projecting the you know civil uh, civil rights consensus and post-war consensus. Earl and, Warren is not a founding father. So, so that's really what, like, MAGA represents. I think that's a, that's a pretty accurate uh, analysis there. That's a very good analogy. I think that's Thank probably you. true. He impressed Rob Reiner. Yeah, and then the question is, I think, in, through the modern lens, is, is were they right? You know, yeah, I mean, that's that's right. the question is, were those days better? And, and if they were, in what way, you know, when you, right. when you dig and, in? What I think is interesting is the number of like the angry voices that will come out against the trailer or come out against, you know, stuff that we're talking about um, that's considered too progressive. So many of them are young men who aren't nearly old enough to have any real connection to those days that Archie Bunker is singing about. Right. Right. But I think when he says when he sings, those were the days. He means those were the days for white people. Mm-hmm. He didn't mean because it never was the days mm-hmm. uh, for for the black uh, population. Uh, it has gotten slightly better as we've moved along. We had uh, Brown versus the Board of Education. We had uh, Civil Rights uh, Act, the Voting Rights Act. All we bad. Black. So All bad. can we just say that I think statistics are going to bear out that black Americans had it better during Jim Crow than they do now in yeah, a lot I mean, of respects. They, they had like essentially the ability to have a parallel economy, which could, you know, create millionaires. I think I was listening today to someone talk about how like the Negro leagues, you know, you had millionaire black people because they owned a baseball franchise. And of course that went out with the, with the integration of baseball. I mean, which did create a lot more millionaire baseball players, right? Sure. Maybe. I don't know what players were making back then. 
I don't know when the first well the franchise. I'm talking about owning a franchise. I know when Babe Ruth was a player, like fifty-two thousand dollars was a lot of money for a baseball player back then. So, but I mean, yeah, Brown versus Board of Ed, not not a good Supreme Court ruling, not good. Like it's not a it's it's kind of like when the, when well it technically to... undoes a bad Supreme like Plessy versus Ferguson was a bad Supreme Court ruling because I mean, yeah. it basically said that you know the government can impose segregational policies on a private company. That's a bad yeah. Supreme Court ruling because yeah. that violates the freedom of association. I mean, I guess p- part of it is like at, during those days, the idea of using court shopping and basically trying to, uh, you know, we're going to pick the case with the most sympathetic uh, plaintiff. Like that was not the norm in in law in those days and probably not and certainly not in Plessy versus Ferguson where they did the exact same thing. Um, so, but again, the, the reasoning and the decision of Brown versus Board of Ed was not a like good decision. It's not well-written. It's basically what they did with Roe v. Wade. They also kind of did with Brown versus Board of Ed, but you know, you're not allowed to criticize that, that decision, even though it was not a well decided case. But I think in a lot of ways, I think it's true for white people, too. I think white people had it better back then, too. Well, everyone did. The entire economy was better in the 50s. The birth rates were higher. The family was stronger. You actually had American manufacturing. You didn't have ruthless capitalism of the 1980s that was very materialistic and saw companies and pensions as, you know, numbers on spreadsheets for bean counters to just gut for extra pennies. I mean... Everything was technically better. Yeah, and you you watch like art nowadays, and you you look at things like The Sopranos. You know, it started out in nineteen ninety nine or whatever. The theme of it is you know very depressing. It's a lot of it is about the fall of the you know not just the American mafia, but there's kind of like a decline in what it means to be an American, and you see things like. Uh, Fight Club. What is that about? It is a loss of identity. They don't know what it means to be a man anymore. So you look at the art, and that's from late nineties. You fast forward twenty five years, it's gotten a lot worse. Yeah, I mean, you could even say the Matrix is to some extent but the Matrix pairing, again, another... pairing on that idea of Fight Club, where you know what does it mean to be a man in America? Because you know that's why he's discontent and able to be you know freed from the Matrix, so to speak. And, you know, Gen X just kind of doesn't know. They're kind of wrestling with these because they're, you know, they go back to the idea of talking about Fight Club, by the way. Um, they were raised by single mothers. Or, you know, a lot, you know, the, you know, no fault divorce, single mothers raising kids, and they don't know what it means to be a man. And they just kind of have to figure that out. And you multiply that times you know, however, you know, for the millennial generation and the Zoomer generation, the problem's gotten worse. So. President, things have moved, but it's still never been those were the days for right. black people. It right. was for but people the, like Archie who are white working class people. The, the, the liberal looks at it as, look at all the progress for women, the progress for minorities, the progress you know, for the LGBTQ community. The conservative says, and look at the exploding divorce rates, looking, look at we now have almost half of births are outside of marriage. You know, half of kids born today are born into a home with only one parent. 
And they know statistically that puts them at a huge disadvantage in educational outcomes. So it's so easy for both sides to say, yes, everything has changed and now it's terrible. <laughs> or <laughs> yes, everything has changed and it used to be terrible and now it's better. Um, and that's, that's why the 60s are such a, almost a Rorschach test of do you see that as progress or do you see it as, as societal collapse? And, I, and what I see in Trump more than anything is a strong man saying, if you think it was societal collapse, I'm your guy and right. I'm actually tough enough to put it right. And it's really hard because conservative Christians and, and as, as the Can we just pause there more and more of the yeah. to say that that is the only thing that he has actually said that is 110 percent correct. I'm not sure yeah. because I think that's I mean, he might stating what Trump was stating. No, it's what he represents. I think you're giving. Though. Yeah, to some degree, but I also think you're giving Trump a lot more credit. Well, 20, I'm thinking 2016 Trump. You know, the how, how much was Trump just going back to Ronald Reagan versus going back to Dwight Eisenhower? Well, again, it's, it goes back to what make what does make America great again actually mean to the people that fear it. And when you're thinking, you know, Pat Buchanan plus Ron Paul, because again, the whole soul of America messaging, that's, that's Buchanan, who was a speechwriter for Nixon. So if you want to really go back to how a lot of these ideas emerged and who were the pioneers... He's capturing that, you know, you captured that identity that, yeah, the 1960s was the beginning of decline. Church is the Southern Bible Belt. Unfortunately, more and more of Christianity in America is dominated by the states that were Jim Crow states. Yeah. And so it's very hard to get away from some of the racial suspicions. But that's, you know, that's, that's been the what case I think for is interesting, even in your own life story, Rob, because you represented the generation that said, we're making progress. You well, know, here's from, the from thing. It, here's what, through yeah. Obama. Yeah, here's what's interesting. You can say those were the days and was great. Now it's terrible or it was terrible and now it's great. But I, you, you, that the, both of those things are wrong. All mm -hmm. you can do is say, are we making progress? Are we making a more perfect union as we go along? And we know based on how progress is made, sometimes there's big steps backwards in order to move steps forward. There's a great line in the zoo story by Edward Albee. He says, sometimes you have to go a long distance out of your way to come back a short distance correctly. And, and, and that's what I see happening. With Obama becoming president, we've taken a huge step backwards because I think it was threatening. It was very threatening to a lot of people to think, oh, a black man can be president? No, that's not right. So you see a lot of what uh, Trump has been able to galvanize uh, is part of the, that grievance. But it's we're people hated Obama because he was black. That's basically the argument he just wow. made there. You know what? But let's actually talk about Obama's impact on the church, because Obama had a major impact on the church. If you look at Russell Moore and his writings before Obama became president, kind of conservative you look at him after obama became president open jesus borders had AIDS. jesus had aids which is a really gay thing to say about our lord and savior and you see that the evangelical covenant church adopted critical race theory in 2009 so wokeness crept into the church during obama it was exposed during trump and now during Biden, the weak 
leadership of evangelicalism is being exposed. The inept leadership. G3 is getting exposed. Uh, Alistair Begg got exposed. Largely by us. Uh, uh, a lot of people are being exposed right now as weak leaders. Not necessarily, you know, the woke preachers, you know, Mark Dever, Russell Moore. These guys have already been exposed. You know, the Tim Kellers. Well, you can't expose him enough, I guess. Well, I mean, but, really, the internet kind of exposed him. Because I think, I imagine a lot of his stuff was pre-Obama. Who, Keller? Yeah, a lot yeah, of Yeah, that is true with Keller. But if you're talking about wokeness, you know, creeping into the church, that happened under the Obama administration. And people don't recognize that hard enough. I mean, the, ad right by the advent of Obama, you have a lot of change. Obviously, the gay agenda was one of the most paramount developments that was basically rammed down America's throats. Is Obama yeah. brought about gay marriage, and that was always his plan. It's not really like he he'll, he gladly said one thing, but twenty twelve gay marriage, twenty twelve Democrat Party platform, transgendering kids is in there. What do you think it means when it says support transgender youth? What do you think that means? And the DNC platform from 2012. What do you think that means? They told you what they were going to do, and they did it. Oh, so the mm -hmm. question is, will we move forward at some point again, or will we collapse? We know what happened during the Civil War. We collapsed for a while. But then we did move forward eventually. So that's the thing. It can't be, it was yeah. terrible, now it's great. It was great, now it's terrible. It has I to be, are we moving forward? I think the challenge is, and I'm speaking on behalf of, of you know, the conservative wing of Christianity, uh, and even to a certain extent, you know, the more progressive wing of Christianity, who's deciding what progress is? And how do we, do we still, right. because we used to have enough of a common language that we could describe progress and agree right. on our, our description. Right. Um, right, And that was when, you know, turn of the 19th, turn of the 20th century, Christians were the social activists that were, that were fighting against child labor, that were fighting for unions. Christians right. were pro-unions until the right. Russian Revolution and suddenly unions became part of, of communism, not part of Christianity. So a lot has happened in the last 150 years that has pushed us into two different sides where we can't even agree on what progress is yeah, anymore. That's, 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 and, that's, that's sad because we have yeah. to agree on certain things. We have to agree that women having uh, more rights and equal rights and equal pay, we have to believe that that's okay. If we don't, you know, then we go backwards to when a woman couldn't vote. Based. The terms are acceptable. I mean, let's be honest, uh, women giving women the right to vote, I mean, it's from the lips of God. Uh, you shall desire your husband, he shall rule over you. And then, of course, Paul and Ephesians 5. I mean, so giving the women the right to vote is is anti-God, anti, uh, really. Um, and contrary Name a policy to the that if we eradicated would f allow us to flip the tables on the Democrats and liberalism faster than repealing the 19th Amendment. I mean, the, I would say the only two... That like the only two plagues in our society that don't go away is usury and the war machine, which you know those two things are pretty related. And maybe you get you bring back Freemasonry. I don't know, but I mean, what is his definition of progress? Okay, we can look at economic me measures. Is our economy better off than it was 
like 50 years ago? No. The only people that make more money are the top, the top earners. Everyone else is actually poor if you actually adjust for inflation. People are actually poor, poor off, even even college educated. So only like, you know, well, because everyone has college ed education now. So yeah, but the idea that economically you're worth you're you're worth less. You're the ability to buy real estate. No, and you know we're back into like bubble territory there. Um, of course, the jobs manufacturing base, a lot of that's gone away. So the idea that you know there are objective measures that we can point to and say we have not actually had progress. We have to believe that a black man should get an equal opportunity under the mm -hmm. law and or then slavery was okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We have to mm -hmm. agree on what, what progress the, is. I if agree the with goal, that. If the goal is to build a society where more of us are flourishing, you know, there's more human flourishing. If that's the mm -hmm. standard, you know, I think there's a lens, you know, that you can look at all this through. I mean, you guys sort of talked about the racial component, but that it's broader than that. There's probably a lens that looks at this that says, well, you know, there are there are some people who feel that their prospects have dimmed, that they're that the world mm -hmm. is not uh, as favorable to them anymore as it used to be. And those people are overwhelmingly the people who would like to go back to, you know, to the days of yore. But there are a lot, a lot of people who feel like their prospects have improved. And you know, ultimately, I would like to think that all of us can agree that working towards a more level playing field that lifts more people up is the goal. I think it's fair to say that, you know, people, there are different metrics where people are going to disagree. I mean, I think, yeah, yeah, we know that families thrive better when people stay married. But, you know, we also know that there were a lot of women, especially, but both women and men who were stuck in really miserable marriages. And it's, you know, probably good that there's a socially acceptable thing that you can get out of it if it really is a disaster. So, right, right. <clears throat> These are supposed Christians celebrating no fault divorce. Yeah, I, I was, was uh, Phil Bisher agreeing with that? And kind of. Uh, I mean, he's sort of agreeing with that. Looks like sound at like a minimum. Nodding, sound like he was just not. But again, Phil Fisher also believes, you know, in abortion. So. Okay, we got to wrap it up because we've taken a lot of. That's a good time. conversation, though. Thank you, thank you. Um, in a nutshell, Dan, what do you? Who do you hope sees the film, and what do you hope they walk away with? Well, look, I want everybody to see the film, of course. I mean, what I want good. them to walk away with, and, and, and I, I do want Christians to see the film, what I want them to walk away with, first of all, is, is the baseline understanding of what the heck we're talking about and why it, why it is distorting our, our democracy and why uh, Christians, why devout Christians are very concerned about what it's doing with Christian faith. But, you know, you become very expert in in you know making a film like this, but ultimately, I don't want people to hear it from me. I want people to go see the film and hear it from the people mm -hmm. who who I learned from. You know, we have the the best voices, people who are very thoughtful, who are really looking at this issue from all different angles, and who can speak with a lot more authority to all of it than I can. So, yeah, I want people to go and and see it, and and I want people to think about what really is the right place for American democracy and for and for Christian faith. Because I do think it's terribly tragic that, you know, I think there's a, a really distorted view if you just look at what, you know, the role that um, 
uh, of how Christianity is beginning to appear in our media environment, I think like I, I'm always talking to my kids, I'm trying to explain to them, no, 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 that's not what it's about. That That's not what it's mm. about. That's not. So how the world thinks of Christianity is why Christian nationalism is anti-Christian. Notice just... how this entire interview, they haven't substantiated why Christian nationalism is dangerous for Christianity. They've only partially substantiated why it's dangerous for democracy. Or civil rights or the civil rights agenda. Or which again, when they talk about or you know, the ability to kill children in the womb. When when they talk about, oh, we're doing what's best for flourishing, well, really what they're saying is flourishing for these special groups, i.e. the minorities and at the expense of the, you know, the white people, so to speak, the yeah, Trump supporters. So their flourishing comes at the expense of another group. What's about like I think that's going to be a generational challenge for the American church is to mm -hmm. rebrand. I hate to say it because I think it's I think this current thing is subsuming what the what what the image of Christianity was at least that I grew up with and that I that I greatly admired and respected. Okay, Rob, what do you hope for the film? Well, I mean, we have right at the end of the film, uh, Reverend Barber talks about. Uh, bringing us back to those uh, teachings of Jesus and says, uh, essentially female pastor. Oh yeah. Cause they actually have a female pastor that's in the film that what creature creature clips had a whole montage. Of. Right. It's like, okay. So a female pastor is, you know, clearly unqualified to teach is going to tell us how to get back to Christianity. Okay. If we get back to those real ideas, what a great, country will have and what a great world we'll have and so i think i want people to watch the film and um take away from it uh hopefully an, a greater understanding of what jesus really talked about mm -hmm. you know it's interesting i want to say one other little thing mm -hmm. we have robert jefferson in the film you know and i read a thing recently where you know and he was a strong, you know, uh, you know, podium pounder kind of guy. Um, and he has had some second thoughts about, you know, how, how. Okay. Woke preacher clips bring in the correction. That's William Barber. I thought he said Barbara. My, my bad, but it's like, okay, not a female pastor. Thank you. Woke preacher clips and shout out by the way. Uh, easy mistake to me. I thought he said Barbara. But he's completely uh, pro-homo and, uh, why isn't that showing? Uh, pro-homo, well, and uh, pro-abortion, which is really shocking. I, I think the correct term instead of pro-queer is yes-homo. Well, and I got to ask, like when he talks about evangelicalism needs to rebrand, how do you rebrand at this point? Not to say we're at the end of history, but we might be at the end of how much more iterations of evangelicalism you can do. Contemporary David music, Frenchism. like contemporary music, compromising on every issue, you know, in like movie theater seating, like reclining seats. Is that is that the next innovation and in evangelical? Like, how do you debase yourself even further? You've already gotten rid of everything that can be construed as traditional. Night at the movies or what? Or like the day yeah, at night the at the music, <laughs> church at the movies, like church at the movies. But it's already been done. Like, how, how do you go further into rebranding? And, and Life.Church is already woke with them. Like, that's a woke church. Like, you can't rebrand any further. 
because you're already like you're already just moving with the culture right more lights so the idea that you need to rebrand to reach people and or to you know correct the message it, it doesn't work it hasn't worked these pol this political movement has taken over the church and that they've gotten away from the original teachings and he's starting mm -hmm. to rethink that and that's what I'm hoping people will will look at, especially Christians that will look at it and say, "Have we gone far afield from what you know the <laughs> yeah. true, the pure Christianity is?" Yellow Moth would like to uh, say admonish Anthony by saying, "Careful, evangelicalism will accept your challenge to debase itself to the culture even more than it already has." Chuck Colson was a very well-respected Christian uh, commentator. I mean, was, you know, Nixon's hatchet man and went to jail and then had a profound faith experience in jail and wrote a book called Born Again that kind of popularized the term born again in the in the 70s and then throughout the 80s and 90s uh, wrote columns for Christianity Today and, and did lots of prison work. And near the end, but he also engaged in a fair amount of, of kind of culture war commentary and, and activism. And late in his life, he wrote a piece where he said, uh, when we politicized the church, we made a grave mistake. Um, he said, we thought that we could recover America by getting the right people into office. Um, but the problem isn't in the office the problem is in the church and mm. that's where we need to turn our attention going forward mm. and there are a lot of us you know russell moore david french and others who see that it's like this, mm. the problem isn't who's in the office the problem is what has corrupted our thinking within the church and that we are drawn towards the kind of people we are sending into office mm. Um, mm. because of fear because we don't think it works if we do it Jesus way. So right. we wanna do it the world's way. We wanna do it with power, um, not with sacrifice. Right. So thanks for making the film. I don't know that I agree with everything in it and that's okay. I don't know that I agree with everything you guys think or, or just said on this podcast and that's okay, but I- You don't know? You can just say, I don't agree with everything you said on this podcast, but oh, and that's I might okay. Not. And... You know, like ha have some balls in your, uh, you know, way of speaking, Phil Vischer. Appreciate you uh, lending your voices to, to trying to help the church, which I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think you're trying to help the church. Um, we and are. I appreciate that. We are. We are. And thank you so much for having us on. It was a great conversation. And uh, anytime, we'd love to come back. Have, have us on for part two. Part two. Ooh, part two. Dan. All right. Uh, that'll be the that? end of that. I'm not going to do their debrief in the interest of time. Uh, can we talk about how, you know, the There's problem is we politicize the church and that's why we send the wrong people into like, first of all, we send politicize the, we, the church. Well, but first Martin of all, we've Luther never, King. we've never sent the right people to office. And that's on the boomer generation because the average age of a congressman is like in the seventies. And we haven't really had a good president that was really advancing conservative agenda. I'm going to be honest. I don't think the boomers gave us any good presidents. They've given us five. Yeah. Like uh, Joe Biden's not a boomer, by the way. Yeah, he's the only president of his generation, though. That pre-boomer right. silent generation, he's the only silent generation president. Really? Yes. That gener that the that generation did not have any presidents but Joe Biden. But that's why they're called silent generation? Pretty much, but I mean, yeah, we've never sent the right people to office. We keep reelecting the 
horrible people and the whole politics is downstream from culture so i would say it's more of a feedback loop not of uh, the thinking in the church was bad so we elected the wrong people it's more of everything was bad so it just kept spiraling into a worse uh culture i guess yeah i, I think there's a lot of truth to that uh now, Yellowmouth says baby boomers are the worst generation. I don't know if that's true or not. No, war babies are the. Oh, oh, oh is that uh, that's is baby? The, okay, that's not the baby people boomers. that fought. That's not saying the greatest generation. My bad. Uh, well, yeah, because they came home and had a bunch of babies after the war. But I would say the generation that was in power in the 1910s was the worst generation in American history. Was that the generation, or is that simply just? Oh, he says 41 to 45, which would be Joe Biden's generation. Well, right. Okay. During the war, they were born during the war. Okay. Uh, I would say the generation that was in power during the 19, during the progressive era in American politics was the worst generation in American history. I'm not sure what that generation is, but they're elite. They're elite. Woodrow Wilson's generation. But their elites were bad. Yeah, and that was mainly because you had a lot of big money. This was your antitrust monopoly, and Rockefeller was pretty anti-Christian. He wanted to fund a false gospel. So, there's that. Uh, and then the baby boomers are probably the most myopic generation. I think that's the way that I would phrase it, and that to me has hurt a lot of uh, you know the younger, younger generations after that weren't really sure how to react to that. Uh, but if you look on like the you know, transgenderism and stuff, boomers are most pro transgenderism, you know, cause the millennials have their kids being impacted by this. So they're kind of turning on that. So that, that's kind of what I read. So a couple other thoughts. So like I said, they don't articulate how it's bad for Christianity. No, you mean having Christian morality imposed on society is bad for Christianity? Like, okay. Like, oh, you're using power. That's not what Jesus wanted us to do. It's like, uh, it's not the, Jesus didn't say not to do that in the event that Christians eventually are in a position to do it. It was just the idea that Jesus didn't come to lead an army like Muhammad. That's what that was about. So... It, it's a lot of Reddit here, but at the same time, they're just kind of glossing over it. Cause you saw in that interview, they weren't willing to really say what it is. They're actually uh, trying to say uh, yellow moth points out that Simon, the zealot was an apostle. And it's like, yes. So zealots could be welcomed into the apostolic um, thing. I, I did want to catch up on some other comments that were made. Uh, actually, no, the atheist thing. They are bringing an atheist into the church to help the church out. Now, I have an issue with that. I never liked when people brought James Lindsay into the church to tell us about critical race theory. I never liked that at all. That was such a bad idea at the time. The idea that we even needed that, no, we didn't. I mean, first of all, we've had liberation theology and plenty of people. I mean, critical race theory and liberation theology pretty much go hand in hand because it's the black church that embraced liberation theology, which or black liberation theology, which then, you know, gave us critical race theory. So, so the idea that it's, I mean, it's very connected. 
And people rightly criticize, uh, I want to say people like Tom Askell, because wasn't James Lindsay in the Bywood Standard documentary, if I recall. Uh, he was the dude on the rooftop balcony thing. Or, you know, at the table having lunch or whatever. It's like, yeah, so people like Tom Askell, I believe, and uh, Michael O'Fallon, who's probably the spearhead of bringing James Lindsay into the church to talk about critical race theory. Yes, people rightly criticize that. Uh, Kosti Hen rightly criticized that. Now, he was the wrong person to do it. He was the wrong person to do it because he went woke in 2020. So he's the wrong person to do it. I'm the right person to do it because I never went woke. Uh, and I, I made uh, Michael O'Fallon pretty mad last year when I called him out for funding James Lindsay. But in this case, they are bringing in atheists to tell the church how to be political. They are bringing in atheists to neuter the church politically. I, I got issues with that. And his idea of what the church should do is, you know, be like the Daily Wire, you know, have your debate in the public square and, you know, convince people of the ideas while the government implements all the bad policies that you. Are you talking lips. about uh, Michael O'Fallon or? No, no, Rob, Rob Reiner at the beginning. But Michael O'Fallon's solution to our problems is literally just to convince people of the Constitution and the merits of it. Like, that's not really inspiring uh, political strategy. I don't care what you think. Um, let's see. Yours says he's claiming, he's literally claiming we are trying to force our beliefs. But if you don't agree with him, there's no place for you. And that's kind of the impression. Like, they didn't really articulate what is progress, what is a more perfect union. They don't really define these nebulous catch-all phrases that they use. Well, because, you know, it's about giving people rights. Well, what are rights and where do rights come from? And if rights actually do come from God, does that mean you have the right to sin? Because I would say no, because people are in, a, in hell essentially atoning for such sins that they committed that they thought that they had the right to commit uh, i like this comment from josh it was it was three soy jacks discussing a book they don't believe in talking about the bible or something else uh that the bible but yeah i mean what so and yellow Mall says fun fact james lindsley called up out al moeller and when i looked up what al did i found you guys and conversation that matter. Yes, I did a video on that at the time. And again, who was the one platforming James Lindsay to talk about this issue? It was Al Mueller. And it's like, why are you platforming him on this issue? His critiques aren't good on this issue. He can articulate their beliefs very well, but he can't articulate a good critique and he can't articulate a good solution. So what exactly do we need him on this issue other than to tell other than to recite their writings to us. We, we don't need that. Like he is famous be, or he's, he's famous in large part because he posted screenshots on Twitter of what they wrote in their books. That's not groundbreaking stuff guys. So I'm going to give a last call for questions related to what we've just discussed. 
Uh, but in the meantime, you know, Evangelical Dark Web is a Christian news gathering and commentary ministry. You can support us over at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. Linked in the description below. Uh, that has more content, more access to more content. I'll be doing some more exclusive content, hopefully this weekend, to kind of help people, you know, get, show a little love to you guys. Uh, because you guys help drive the research direction, but I haven't been able to start on the next research project that you guys have directed because it's been a busy news cycle, very busy news cycle right now. And then this video drop or this podcast on the Holy post drops that I got to cover this because it, it, I've been waiting for it to come out and it finally did. Uh, so those are my thoughts. Uh, you got anything coming up, Anthony? Uh Got a couple articles in the pipeline, so which is very nice. Hopefully, it allows me to you know do some research because we're going to be, uh, you know, writing about TD Jakes. Hopefully, and we'll see what scandal comes out. Uh, we got a question about the book. Um, will there be an ebook? More than likely, yes. It should be available in that format. I again, I'm pretty sure that's that's gonna happen. So again, it'll be called Winning Not Winsome, Ten Commandments of Spiritual Warfare. And I love the fact that the word winsome is coming back a little bit, uh, largely due to a lot of the Alistair Begg stuff, you know, because he is a winsome guy. And it's kind of being exposed that uh, winsome in many ways just kind of means weak. So same, Reza, why not just... Focus on trying to persuade rich people into agreeing with you on policy. They have the influence that matters. Well, I mean, I think that's the importance of Elon Musk is, I mean, again, elite, if elites run the world, which basically means that we're not actually a democracy, we're just an oligarchy, which is true. And ironically, if you look at what most historian, most people throughout history said is that aristocracy was the best form of government. This would be, include Calvin. This would actually even include Josephus. If you actually read what he wrote about the uh, time of the judges being an aristocracy. But yeah, I mean, but the other thing we need to do is actually create new elites because the elite creating institutions, i.e. Harvard, Yale, the Ivy Leagues have essentially been taken over and captured. And, and again, think, the, just to add on to that, do you think the way to create new elites is to create new institutions? Um, I do think you need to do both. I, I think it's you have to have an offense and defense on to win the game, so to speak. So, so the idea of creating competing institutions like a Hillsdale or Liberty is very good and effective. And generally speaking, you hear good things about those institutions. However, you know you do also have to be able to create to compete against them on their own turf. So, I mean, just having Harvard on your resume will get you into a lot of, open a lot of doors for you. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with the new founding podcast, but they're kind of some elites. Uh, so we're getting some, you know, Christian elites, hopefully. It's just, there's not a lot of money in the kingdom. However much money you think is, you know, Christian money, it's less than that. Like you got the Hobby Lobby people giving to the He Gets His campaign. That's working against the church, guys. Uh, and it's also funding creators. That and are the chosen. The and, uh, yeah. 
So just to get back to the question, persuade rich people into agreeing with you on policy. Essentially, that's also what politics is, is getting rich people to donate to your campaign so that you can win office and then and then uh, implement policy. But Now, again, what type of rich people? I mean, there might be a lot of people who are millionaires, but they aren't like sexy millionaires, if you know what I mean, like a Peter teal might would be a sexy millionaire charles haywood's apparently a sexy millionaire but like there might be like your millionaire in your backyard i think a lot of what we can do is get them more into the game so to speak so you're talking about like upper middle class very upper middle class like they're millionaires and like local millionaires they're agriculture people yeah something like that but not big ag right uh, do you think there will be a split again for hardliners in the SBC because of this topic, woke BLM, et cetera? Uh, no, not yet. I'm actually a lot more optimistic on the Southern Baptist Convention right now. I'm going to try and do a live stream on that with some notable guests. Uh, another question. Yellow Moth says, how can you focus on being winsome and Calvinist at the same time? Yeah, I, I mean, Calvin, if you read his writings, wasn't very winsome, right? Probably not. Uh, I mean, I mean, he he used some sarcasm here and there, and obviously, you know, all the all all his haters always bring up Michael Cervantes. So, uh, but I mean, the whole uh, and that is the dumbest uh, argument against Alistair Begg. Well, you know, he like all these anti-Calvinists bring up. Well, you know, he was predetermined to have done that, and they'll say, oh, he just fell because he was a Calvinist. It's like, okay, look in the Arminian camp, uh, Methodist or. The United Methodist Church. And the There's a lot of woke Pentecostals out there. Yeah. Just but saying. I mean, if you want to just throw rocks and the fact that, you know, it was the Calvinists that called him out. And and I really, mean, it's not soteriology. are also leading the charge in fighting wokeness in the church and stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of like, you know, Calvary Chapel people involved, like, but they're not leading I mean, sort of thought soteriology leader. isn't the problem. It's the, it's the problem not, is people become the cities that they live in. But it, since Calvinism is going to become dominant in evangelicalism, it's just in it's predetermined. <laughs> uh, it's going to become dominant. You know, the leaders against wokeness are going to be Cal- naturally more Calvinist or disproportionately Calvinist. Uh, so we got some people saying that Cervantes got what it was coming to him. All right. Yeah. Good questions. I got a last call and we got some questions in, but now we're going to, you know, finish up. Uh, thank you all for coming out tonight. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out. Subscribe if you are new and we will catch you on the next one.